You're listening to the Grow Further podcast, dedicated to helping you on your journey to get from where you are now to where you want to be. I'm Christy. I'm Ellie. And we are your hosts. Grow further with us starting now. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Grow Further podcast. So Chris, do you like magic shows or magic in general? I did not expect you to ask me that question. Um, I suppose. All right. Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to. <laughs> there is something there's something magical about the episode today. And it's because we are going to be talking about the five to one magic ratio in relationships. Do you want to share with wow. our listeners what that even is? Because they're probably like, what That's, are you talking about? That was really good. Can I just say that was really oh, good? Thank you. And everybody listening, we were thinking like, how do we want to start this? And Ellie said, I got an idea. Just hit record. And that's what you just heard. Um, But yeah, you're alluding to the five to one magic ratio from John Gottman. So yeah, so everybody, I'm just going to start with this. This is a statistic that I've held really close to my heart and that has always blown my mind. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with you right now. So John Gottman, he is somebody that we've mentioned in previous episodes. He is the godfather of relationship research. You know that Ellie and I are read searchers, read searchers. Like we that. love to read research. And he found through decades of studying couples in what he called the love lab that he could watch a couple having a conflict conversation. So he'd have them come in and say, hey, talk about something that you disagree on. And he could, by the end of that conversation, get this with 90% plus accuracy. plus accuracy, determine if they were going to stay together and stay happy. He could determine that. Are they going to get divorced? Are they going to stay married and be happy? And he was right 90 plus percent of the time. And when I listened to him talk about this statistic, because he was recently featured on Brene Brown's episodes of um, Unlocking Us, I believe. They just came out with a new book that I absolutely love. It's called The Love Prescription. He talked about how surprised he was about how accurate He could be in observing a couple talk about a conflict and whether or not they would stay married and happily married or get divorced. So when you hear that, Ellie, like, does that shock you at all? So it does shock me. And, you know, I think that what is really cool about this is that they brought couples into the love lab. They watched them work through something that that is usually a conflict for them for about 15 minutes. And John Gottman, along with a co-researcher, Robert Levinson, uh, they were, like you said, they were able to predict and they followed these couples for nine years. And they found that those who had a higher ratio of positive to negative interactions during this time of conflict, this 15 minute, you know, these 15 minutes working through conflict were more likely to stay happily married. So they were able to determine that on average, the magic ratio that enabled these couples to thrive and experience high relationship satisfaction was five to one. So that's five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. And, you know, it's interesting because when we first thought about this, Chris, and, and you know, we first started exploring this research and doing our read search, we mm-hmm. we thought that this only related to romantic relationships or friendships, like personal relationships. Right. And then later, there was a study that actually showed that this held up in workplace relationships as well. So whether you're- Which is really cool. That, it is really cool. So 
Can I just say yeah. that? I've been talking about the five to one ratio, five positive interactions to every one negative interaction for a while. And I didn't realize until recently that that I just assumed that it also applied to working relationships. But to have the data to back it up is is uh, really nice. Yeah. And and the data that backs it up is based on um, research that looked at 60 different teams in the workplace. And they basically looked at the ratio of positive and negative comments given by leaders as well as given peer-to-peer and related it to the team's overall performance. And what they found was that teams that had a higher ratio, a ratio of actually 5.6 to 1 of positive comments or positive interactions to negative interactions, perform best. And the lowest performing teams had negative interactions outweighing the positive interactions through one. So Chris, I love the fact that usually when we talk about this, we talk about it with an analogy to a trust fund or a relationship oh, yeah. with a bank account. So, you know, when we think about balancing our checkbook, does anybody use checkbooks these days anymore? Um, you know, actually, we've been using them. And I wrote one for the first time last week and I felt like I went back. Back in 15 time? Years. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, do I even know how to do this? Oh, I like that. That, That's mine. You've got the bloop. I've got the whoop. But anyways, please continue. Well, no, I just I think it's really interesting to think about like when when we are, you know, think about our checking account, our bank account. Right. Right. We Mm want to make sure that we have more money in the bank and we want to make sure that our deposits are more than our withdrawals. So that's right. Every time. You have a negative interaction with a coworker, with a friend, with a partner. You need to make five deposits to balance out that one withdrawal. That seems, this is a word you use a lot, that seems daunting, but it's totally possible. Because when you think about it, the Gottman's research that we talked about earlier, that wasn't a conflict conversation. So that's even when you're disagreeing about something. A five to one ratio is absolutely possible and is doable. So one of the things that we're going to do with all of you out there is we're going to explore what does a withdrawal look like, you know, with our trust fund, because we do have a trust fund. We do have a bank account with every relationship in our life. Okay, so I want you to think about your partner, your significant other, um, your family members, friends, people that you just met, potential clients, customers. You have a either a new bank account, if it's a new relationship, or an existing one. And we want to explore with you, what does a withdrawal look like? What does a deposit look like? Because Ellie, as you've said, you know, multiple times, we need five to one. We need five deposits for every one withdrawal if we want to have a thriving emotional bank account. Or as we like to say, a trust fund, right? So let's start, Ellie, with some examples if you're okay with that, with withdrawals. And I also want you all to think about this, like as you're listening in the car, on a walk, on a break, whatever you're doing, we want you to think about a relationship that matters in your life right here, right now. And and one that maybe you want to enhance the relationship because it's already great, or maybe a relationship that isn't as great. Yeah. Um, and you want to make it better. We want to ask you these questions and have you reflect upon that relationship. What are ways that they've withdrawn with you recently, perhaps ways that you've withdrawn with them. And then also what are ways that you've deposited? But let's start with the withdrawal side, Ellie. What are some examples of withdrawals in a relationship? Because it's not all big stuff, yeah. right? Because I think lying, cheating, 
things like that, like those are obvious withdrawals. Um, and I think we'd like to focus on what are those more subtle ways that we withdraw and we don't even realize it necessarily. Well, and this isn't an all-inclusive list either because this is very personal, right? I may mm-hmm. think of something as a withdrawal that you may not think of as a withdrawal. You may think of well, it as true. like something that's neutral, so to speak. So, you know, while this isn't a, a, an expansive list or an all-inclusive list, here are some examples to kind of act as thought starters. So one that I think many of us might be able to relate to, I know I can, is a withdrawal could be being defensive when a person shares their thoughts. You know, sometimes we personalize things and we take it personally and it can lead to us going into flight or fight mode and being defensive or even pointing blame at the person that's sharing. Um, Can I share a random fact from the read search? Yeah. So when they that when they watch these couples having this conflict conversation, what they realize is that the couples that thrived and made it versus the ones that didn't, they had higher heart rates. Interesting. So they had higher levels of fight or flight, the ones that did not make it, which by default, when your heart rate is up, you're feeling more anxious, you're feeling more tense, perhaps that leads you to be a little bit more defensive and less open to what the other person is saying. So really, I mean, I think you're spot on, Ellie, with the, the fight or flight and, you know. It's kind of nice that there's research to back that up. Yeah. Um. Can I share an additional withdrawal? Of course. And this, is, this is something that happened recently with Ruby and I, actually. um, I went to go pick up food, um, and I tried calling Ruby multiple times, and she didn't pick up. And I don't know if any of you can relate to that, because the person I'm thinking about right now is Ruby for this particular five-to-one experience. And she she didn't pick up, and I jumped to a conclusion of what she was doing and why she wasn't picking up. Mm. And I walked in the door frustrated. Because I had to wait for her to respond. And she actually was doing something very important. Mia had taken a little spill down the stairs. Oh, boy. And so she said, you know, I I don't understand why you're frustrated. Mia fell down the stairs and she's okay, but I was with her. In my mind, when I was at the restaurant, was like, well, I've already been gone a long time. I would imagine that she'd want to be by her phone to make sure I'm okay. So it was really... Honestly, I hate calling myself out like this, but it was selfish and I jumped to a conclusion. And so I think we do that with people in general where human beings jump to conclusions, but jumping to conclusions and not being open and curious is absolutely a withdrawal. And that was a huge withdrawal. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine, especially because she, you know, really was tending to something and someone that was important to both of you. So, you know, that that can be something that is a withdrawal. You know, I I think of some others. Um, one other that is a withdrawal for me uh, is when I'm with somebody, but they're not really paying attention. So like either being distracted, being on their phone. um, That's a, that's a huge withdrawal for me. Oh yeah. Um, And yeah, some other things that I think we don't always think about are just some aspects of our body language, right? Like sometimes we can have really negative or dismissive body language. Like when we're speaking to somebody and our arms are crossed or we're turning away from them, or rolling our eyes, or or even like the huffing, huff, puffing, exactly <laughs> huffing or puffing or sighing. You know, I I think that those are those little nuances that really can actually be big withdrawals. Some others that come to mind: not following through with commitments or promises. Um, sometimes we can take people for granted, and that's oh yeah, you know, non intentionally. And like I said, those are not. All inclusive. This is not all inclusive, but those are just some examples of ways that we may withdraw from uh, a relationship and and any kind of relationship. 
So before we move to the deposits, think about that relationship, y'all, and just pause this if you need to. What have you done that perhaps has been a withdrawal lately in the relationship that you dedicated to this time? What is a way that maybe the other person has withdrawn? Because we're human, we're going to do it. We're not perfect. And so the message of this podcast is not going to be never withdraw, Mm -hmm. right? It's a bank account. We're going to withdraw, but we also need to deposit. And that's where I'd love to go next, Ellie, is how do we deposit in the most subtle of ways? Because obviously some people might say throwing a surprise party or, you know, remembering a really important date and sending a text message to them or getting a really big gift like you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. (laughs) I just thought about, you know, yeah. was that Oprah? Yeah, I did that. That was Oprah. Yeah, yeah, all the car keys. Yeah. Um, so those are obvious big deposits. But what are the more subtle ways that we can deposit in the relationship with people? May I start? Yeah, absolutely. To build upon the example that I shared, the way that I evened out that withdrawal with Ruby where I jumped to a conclusion about why she wasn't answering the phone, I apologized. Mm. So a huge deposit, and Ellie, this isn't even something that I think we've talked about in the past, but a huge deposit is saying I'm sorry and, and genuinely meaning it, not just saying it to get the other person to stop being upset. And that was something that we learned from Dr. Harriet Lerner in one of the other episodes that we've done. Um, who's the expert in apologizing. But I would definitely like to just sum up that story by saying I apologized. And not just once. I apologized later that night, the next day, um, and just checked in with her, which is another way to deposit. Um, Did you apologize five times? Um, well, I, that's what I said. That was three. But there was other ways to deposit, sure. though, Ellie. Yeah. Right? An apology is just one. It is. What are some others? So I think that deposits can come even in the simplest forms, like you said, saying thank you when someone does something, just huge, expressing gratitude in general, being open to others' perspective and asking for the perspective of others, asking questions about the other person to show interest in things that they're interested in or to show interest in them as a person. It can even be as simple as a compliment, a smile, being there for them when they need you in times of joy, in times of struggle. Check-ins. I love that you said check-ins, that you checked in with Ruby, laughing together, doing something fun together. That are Those are huge deposits. And, and can I just like pause really quick on this? Laughter is so huge. That was one of the things that he saw in the couples that thrived over time mm-hmm. is that they found humor in some of their disagreements yeah. or they found a way to laugh. I don't know if y'all have ever been in a, in a heated argument and then somebody say something kind of funny off the wall and it just like, you can feel it. It breaks the tension. It totally breaks the tension. And then that reduces the anxiety, reduces the fight or flight, yep. you know, the defensive mechanisms, which truly enables us to be open to hearing what somebody else is saying and having that open body language and making eye contact and nodding. And perhaps repeating back what you think that you're hearing in your own words to ensure that you're understanding the other person. Yep. Those are small things, but wow, those are those are deposits. Yeah. 100%. You know, I think that it's important to remember that the moral of this story is that is not that you should not have conflict, right? Exactly. You're going to. It's how are you showing up in those moments of conflict? Are you using kind words? Are you using a gentle tone or an understanding tone? Or are you fighting dirty, so to speak? Right. And mm. and that's really how you can measure your ability to show up and, and deposit versus withdraw. And the moral of this story is really pay attention to what you're dishing out. 
pay attention to what you're contributing into that trust fund and make sure that it's more positive than negative if you want that relationship to thrive. Or your your working team relationships to thrive, right? Because we're referencing data from a conflict conversation, but this is in general. Like, so in conflict and, and not, and the thing about the research that you shared earlier about how this transforms into working relationships is that the teams perform better. So if you're a leader, a member of a team, hey, deposit in the relationships with those on your team. Um, if you're the leader, make sure that you're giving the team opportunity to deposit one another and you're depositing because it increases performance. Yeah. Of the team as a whole, which is also kind of mind-blowing to me. It is. And, but what would you say is the challenge for this group? What's what's the challenge? Well, you know, Chris, I think there's a couple of different things that the first thing is I really want us to all remember that there are so many ways that we can deposit and withdraw in this day and age, right? We right. can do it in person. We can do it virtually. We can do it via text. We can do it on the phone. Oh, that's true. So making sure that you have awareness around how you're showing up in all of those different forms is super important. So that's that's one thing to keep in mind. But the challenge we really want to put in front of you today starts out with what you said earlier. Think of a person that you care about, a relationship that you care about, one that you want to build or tend to, one that you may want to repair or to foster. And then do something intentional to make deposits into the trust fund that you share with that person. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the questions we, we get sometimes, Chris, when we talk about the five to one ratio is, well, what if I don't know what that person thinks of as deposits? What is meaningful to them? And what advice would you give someone about that? Ask. Right. I love that. I love that point. Ask them. Like, what are ways I can deposit in this relationship? It makes me think of the um, appreciation languages in the workplace or your love languages. Yeah. We did an episode on that. Um, not too. Well, I guess it was over the summer of last year. But. Absolutely understand what their love language or their appreciation language is and make sure that you're tending to that and, and depositing. And I'd say if you don't know where to start, one of the last things that I'll share about the research is that the two words that are most commonly used with the th most thriving of relationships based on John Gottman's research is thank you. Thank you. So just saying thank you, meaning it, being specific with what it is that you're offering thanks for, that's a great place to start if you don't know where else to start when it comes to a deposit perspective, because that holds true in nearly every relationship that we have in our life, personal, professional. Yeah. So our message to you, be intentional about deposits and be stingy with withdrawals. I like that. Thanks. I really do. All right. Well, everybody, between now and then... Grow just a little bit further. Build that trust fund up because who doesn't love a trust fund? Money, money, money. We'll see you back next time. <laughs> money. All right. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Grow Further podcast. If you'd like to help us grow further, please subscribe. And don't forget to let us know what you thought of today's episode.